Ronananian. Because the recall thing is really affecting the industry. You can see it. You take the card for the recall, and then all of a sudden you've got this laundry list of things that don't need to be done. The car doctor. There's a huge shortage of technicians, qualified technicians, people that will work on the car like their mom or sister or their family was in it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. 855-560-9900. And if they don't start, you definitely want to pick up the phone and give us a call at 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at your service. We're here to take your calls and answer your questions, whatever they might be. That's what this radio show is about. Once again, we welcome the folks over there up in Watertown, New York, WATN 1240, up there in North Country, as they are another one of our Car Doctor affiliates. We add one more to the list and continue the march across this country as uh, we keep picking up affiliates and growing and welcoming the Car Doctor family. As a matter of fact, Tom, I'm, I'm feeling, you know what, let's, let's have a little fun. All right. I'm, I'm looking well, at wait, you. Wait, 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 wait. You fun? Yeah, I'm a fun guy. Oh. I really am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you growing in the yard. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm really a fun guy. Um, I, I'm, I'm noticing that Ron and Annie, the Car Doctor t-shirt you're wearing. So if you can manage to do this and answer the phones and get their information you're and You're not going to make me floor, iron them, are you? Yeah, you're going to have to iron ah, them. Geez. All right. Um, for the first caller, if we get a caller from Watertown, New York today, all right, um, we're going to give them out a Car Doctor T-shirt. Okay, right? that's Got to be a Watertown, New York address. Now, come on, we're trying to... Well, let's, well let's, Watertown and surrounding area because... Watertown surrounding area. They, yeah, they, right. the okay. ATN does get out. Right. Um, and we have them in every size you can imagine, as long as it's extra large. <laughs> All right? This is just like Henry Ford in the Model A. He said you can get it in any color you want, as long as it's black. So, in following the theme of automotive history, we're going to make it any size you want, as long as it's extra large, because I don't think we have any other sizes available. So we're looking for somebody stockily built. So either it's going to be a T-shirt for the guys, pajamas for the women, or a bedroll for the kids, but it'll be extra large, however you want to make it, for our first Watertown caller at 855-560-9900. Um, before we get into the show today, we've got a lot going on this hour as well. We're going to talk a little bit about flying cars. Yeah, really, it's really going to happen. I want to talk a little bit about an article in the New York Times yesterday about the shortage of auto mechanics. And, and that got me thinking when I was reading that article. You know, we kid about it, and if anybody's ever been to the shop, they know how serious it is about having more than one scan tool. You know, I started this year with the best of intentions. I really did. I said, I'm going to get rid of some scan tools. I had 19 scan tools at, at, at the beginning of this year, January 2017. I took a look around the shop, and I said, this is a little out of control. There's There's got to be a more sustainable way to do this. Because with 19 scantles, it's like having 19 cars. You, you don't get familiar enough with one before you got to move on to the next one, and you're trying to hone your skills because everyone's a little bit different. So I've kind of wheedled the list down to, I think, four right now. And that's not counting, you know, that's still dealer-level OE stuff. Still have the GM Tech 2 and the GM scan tool for the newer cars and the Ford IDS and the Chrysler and Toyota and Honda, you know, we're 
trying to diversify but stay within a certain food group of automobiles. And I'm saying to myself, you know, I was listening to a conversation at a meeting the other night, and the conversation with the technicians is they go on and they talk about, well, you know, we've got a snap-on modus and we've got a launch and we've got an autel. But I never hear anybody saying we've got a launch, an autel, and a modus or a modus and OTC. And I'm wondering, I'm saying, how do they survive? I don't know that a repair shop can get by on one scan tool. I don't think it's possible anymore. And the reason is this. There are too many times when I'm using one of the 19 or now one of the four or five, and I think the number is actually six because I think I had to bring another one back into the mix. My point is, I'll tell you a story. Had to do cam reset on a Ford the other day. Cam reset is something you do when you've made a repair that affects fuel trim and fuel system settings, and you want to you want to reset the keep alive memory. You take the scan tool, and you can you can plug in, and you can physically make that change. The scan tool I was using had cam reset in their menu. It didn't work. It didn't do anything. It was a it was a software dead end. Reached out and got another one. That didn't work. Finally got, I took out an OTC Evolve. That worked. All right? So I had to go through three to get to the one that worked. I also could have taken out the Ford IDS, but there's a whole conversation there about using, you know, OE, OE, OE scan tools, and they're a little difficult and cumbersome sometimes. So you're trying to find, you know, day-to-day stuff before you get deep into the dark waters. And my point is, Maybe, because you're always asking me, you the listener, you're always saying, hey, how do we find a repair shop? How do we know who's good, who's bad? Maybe part of that conversation is, how many scan tools you got? You know, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. You know, it kind of comes to that point that, uh, you know, and, and I was telling this to someone this morning, and they said to me, they said, well, what do you do? Go in and ask them, yeah, you know, what kind of tools do you have? You know, I mean, listen, you look around the parking lot, if you're driving a BMW, and all you see in the parking lot is 62 Chevys and, um, you know, uh, 78 Monte Carlos. Maybe that's not the guy for you. But if you see like-minded cars and proper tooling and proper assortment of needs, you know, technical resources, and that's, that, that's what you want. So maybe it's, you know what, instead of five-star ratings, we're going to do a scan tool rating. Are you a one-scan tool company, a two-scan tool company, a ten-scan tool company? Because trust me, the guy that's got more than one scan tool, and I'm not knocking the guy with just one. But I, you really need more than one. If you've got more than one, I think you're really dead serious and much more capable of fixing cars than the guy that has one or none. And, yeah, there's still some shops out there that have none. Uh, boggles my mind. Anyway, that's just opening conversation. Start looking at scan tools and see what they've got. Recent article that came out from about Uber. Uber really seriously promises flying cars by 2020. Can you believe this? Uber is more than fly curious about taking ride sharing to the air. The company announced Tuesday that it plans to roll out a network of flying cars in Dallas, Fort Worth, and Meet Dubai. George Jackson. His boy, Elroy. And this is all supposed to happen by 2020. Can you believe it? We're going to be into flying cars by 2020. Uber flying cars. And, uh, you know, Listen, so so now I've got to ask you the question, are you comfortable getting into a self-driving Uber on the ground, and would you really be comfortable getting into a self-driving Uber in the air? And just, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know 
what kind of problems that might present. And we want to go to Dave from Iowa is on the phone, and Dave actually sent us this story, and we thought we would put him on the spot and get his thoughts on it because he's we're making Dave Joe American, average American citizen here from uh, Q, John Q. Public. Dave, John Q. Public, sir, from Iowa, how are you today? Hey, thank you for the introduction, Ron. I really appreciate it. I'll tell you what, I, I'm really proud of you and your, and your dedication toward individuals and the profession. And uh, I've made a, I had time to make a little list here. This is so interesting to me, I've uh, decided to do a lot of research on it. But anyway, uh, this is probably something that your listeners and your future mechanics need to hear. Uh, you know, when this stuff comes to, uh, comes to light, we're going to, they're going to need an education. And uh, I wrote down some of the few things here that would probably be uh, something to, for them to look into because, uh, you know, three years is not too long to learn something, you know. Right. So we're have, you're going to have to have major degrees in technical uh, science. Uh, you're going to have to have an air, auto, get a little of this, an auto aeronautical engineering tech. You have to have an electrical uh, engineering uh, degree probably. Uh, and you know it's things like that. So you know it's uh, it's going to be a real challenge to them. I, I mean, you look at you look at the average college program for I don't know mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. That's a four year that's a four year study, right? And, right. And and, and now is. we're three years away from this. I know, I know. I mean, they would have to pop it on us, you know. But uh, these are for visionaries that we're going to do this, you know. So. It's, uh, we're in a whole new world now, so we're going to have to uh, adjust, you know. So, I wonder, you know, Dave, and I and I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but I wonder how real it is. In the sense, you ever watch? Um, which one was it when they were bringing Spock home? I think the Voyage Home, Star Trek, and they ended up in 1968 San Francisco because they had to save the planet from the whales. And they're walking around San Francisco and, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all the rest of them, and nobody had any money. And, you know, I think I think Kirk made the comment, well, because where we come from, you know, in the future, there is no money. You know, and it was just such a radical thought, like, you know, the world is going to change. And you never think you're going to see change like that where economy doesn't matter. And yet you're seeing something that is Star Trek-ish. And it's it's real. It's and there's there's people out there talking about it, as you say, by 2020, as the article states, by 2020. So this isn't some pie in the sky statement. This is <laughs> they're putting some serious money behind this to come up with it. I was reading it talks about company CEO Travis Kalanick apparently wants to play the role of Elon Musk. We know who that is. Who came up with the idea for Hyperloop and is letting everyone else figure out how to make it work. The reward for his Game accessing Uber 65 million, or I'm sorry, 55 million monthly active riders in nearly, it doesn't say how many cities worldwide, and Uber can make it happen. I think 2020 is a realistic point, not replacing the vehicle for an airplane, but replacing a car, says Richard Pat Anderson, Director of Flight Research at Embry Aeronautical University. A purely electric aircraft might remain elusive, but a serial hybrid setup where the aircraft carries a fuel-burning turbine to keep it flying, much like the Chevrolet Volt, could work. I mean, they don't have the plane designed yet, and they're talking about flying cars. And well, you know, I, I think the uh, the people, the younger people today, are I think they're excited. If we did a survey on them, I'm sure that they'd be excited about this because it is something that uh, you know, new, upcoming. Uh, they see an opportunity to make a profession out of it and uh, uh, a survival, so to speak. Uh, as older people, you know, we're still down on the ground. 
But one thing about uh, up in the air, you're not going to get a speeding ticket, probably, you know, because you're going to be regulated. We don't have to worry about tires, and you're going to have to put a landing pad on your shop. Yeah, um, uh, you know, a landing pad on the roof of the shop, and, you know, I want to. I think I want to keep working long enough until that first one either flies in or drives in on its own. Because when I, when, I, when I find out I don't have to talk to the customer anymore, you know, that the robot's going to go, change the oil. Hey, great. You know what? No argument here. I don't have to go through the song and dance. I don't have to explain it. Just fix the car. Send it on its way. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's just going to be so different. Um, I don't think we're going to be around when that happens, though. I think they're going to have enough problems with this as it is, you know. So well, uh, can you imagine taking the drive test or whatever, or, you know, you uh, I, I I would want a parachute with me, you know. So well, yeah, because you know they can create and invent anything you'd want. Um, Dave, if 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 they ran this through all the testing, give me an honest answer before I go to break. If they ran this through all the testing and everything passed with flying colors and it was flawless, would you get in one? Probably. I'm old enough that it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, you know what? You're the market then. Um, you know, yeah, we'll go up together. You know what? We'll go up because if the thing does malfunction, I'm going to fix it in midair. Dave, I enjoyed the conversation, sir. You, um, you take good care and uh, thank you for taking, taking out your time and being part of us out there in Iowa. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Ron. Thank you. You take good care. 855-560-9900. You got some comments or thoughts on flying cars, even cars on the ground. Ron and Annie and the car doctor. Give us a call. We'll talk about it. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. Thanks to Dave. I want you know, and Dave is a listener. I've got to tell you this story. Dave is a listener out in Iowa, read the article about flying cars with Uber and sent it into us and we actually reached out and figured let's have a conversation about it and that's what we're going to do around here folks just to let you know going forward. We're trying to make this as you know, conversational friendly as we can. So, you want to get on the air, you want to talk about something on radio. It's beyond just your car is broken. you got a topic of hand of the day of something changing or how it's changing in the industry. Send us a call. Send us your information. And uh, don't be surprised if you hear Tom Ray on the other end of the phone going, hey, you're up next. Speaking of being up next, let's go over and talk to Paul Huntington, New York, 01 Chevy S10 and some AC. from. This is a conversation from last week, Paul, right? Yes, Ron. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. So so I, what, what system pressures did you have on this vehicle? The other day, it was a cooler morning, right around 60 degrees. Both low and high were 58 with the, the good gauges on it. Okay. Start start the engine, you know, take it up above idle, and the low side went down to 52, and the high side max was 70. All right, so first off the bat, we don't have enough of a pressure difference, and we don't have enough We don't have enough compressor high side pressure. It, it sounds like a bad compressor. Okay. All right, from my seat here. But the way I would tell you the couple of things I'd want to do firsthand is I'd want to recover what refrigerant is in there and measure it. And I know you're charging this with little cans by hand, and here's one of the problems with that. You'll you'll never know how much is in there, number one. Number two, you're going to have to use some sort of, and I've seen them, these aftermarket containment kits that will pull it out. But to properly service that, if you're going to service the air conditioning on your own, um, short of blowing it out into the environment, which is is really 
not, not the right thing to do. It's not good right. for the environment. And right. it, it just, you know what, it, it's also a problem for you because even if you put a new compressor in, if that's what it turns out to be, how are you going to pull a vacuum on the system? Well, I have a vacuum. I can't pump it down. I just have no okay. way to re- recapture it. Okay. So maybe you've got to take it to your repair shop and say, hey, recapture this for me. Here's here's the problem you're going to have with that. If somebody brings me a car that I don't know, or even if I know them, and they say, hey, just recover the refrigerant. I'm going to do the repair myself. Fine. I get it. You know what? You can buy a half hour of my time. The first thing I'm going to do is put the refrigerant identifier on that machine, on that car. If If that's not pure whatever, 134, if that's some chemical aftermarket mix, I'm not going to recover it. Because okay. because I'm gonna I'm gonna contaminate all the refrigerant that's in my recovery machine with whatever that other chemical is, and you know I've said this for a while. I I really think it's unfair and it's not right that these manufacturers have these chemicals out there just trying to save a few bucks. That you know either they have sealers in them or they they you know have different chemical operating characteristics in the evaporator where they're, you know, they're super cool. They, they make it cooler than it needs to be under certain pressures and temperatures. You know, it's, you're, you're kind of giving the kryptonite to, to the criminals and saying, hey, um, you know, make this work, and then Superman shows up and the AC system is contaminated. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but, you know, right off the bat, I'd recover what's in here. This should be an orifice tube system. Uh, okay. you know, in the in the liquid line. And if this yeah. is an orifice tube system and all you're getting out of this is 75 PSI, you know, either I'm assuming one of one of a few things. The gauges are broken. The Schrader valve isn't allowing full volume through, which I, I've seen. It's rare, uh, you know, or just plain and simple. Deadhead the compressor. Block off one of the compressor lines, um, you know, or restrict them. Put a slight crimp in it. I don't like doing that. You run the risk of damaging the rubber on the inside, but, you know, here's a case on an older vehicle. You want to be sure. If you start to crimp off that high side line, this is old school. Somewhere find a rubber portion of it, and it doesn't immediately hit 2, 250 higher. You've got a compressor that's not able to put out, so it can't raise pressure. It can't, you know, pull a vacuum. You've got a compressor issue. Okay. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of where I think you're going. Um, so, but you mentioned an, an aftermarket recovery system that I, I could buy in a parts store. I've seen them out there. All right, um, I haven't seen them in a while. I don't know if they were pulled off the market, but you know, it's it was similar to the type of thing you would see a uh, a home air conditioning company use, where they use the plastic bag. So you've got to look for it. All right, sir. Good luck to you, Paul. Let me know, and we'll go from there. I'm running the car doctor. Coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the name of the car doctor, rolling along at 855-560-9900. We're in the driver's seat as we're taking your calls and answering your questions. Let's get over to Corey in Minnesota, 2000 Honda CRV. See what's going on here. Hey, Ron, Corey. How are you, sir? Yes, sir. Good, good. What's going on? Well, I'm trying to troubleshoot a vibration problem. I've got a 2000 Honda CRV. It's got about 170,000 miles. When I initially bought it with about 160, there was no vibration. Uh, I, I changed tires on it. I've got a, another CRV that I can swap tires around and uh, swap some good winter tires on there. They were not vibrating. Um, threw some other tires on that were all good and balanced and everything, and I've got a vibration issue that uh, I've changed the uh, – it's an all-wheel drive, just to have the other plank in there. I've changed the um, fluid in the rear differential with the dual pump fluid on there. Yep. 
but I, I can't distinguish it if it's coming from the drive shaft or the CV joints. I mean, I don't hear any clicking when I turn corners, but I would think that would be more for the front end CV joints than the rear. Yeah. So this vibration when it happens, Corey, is it is it is it in parking lot maneuvers or is it at speed on the highway? At speed on highway, it seems it comes around about 40 and then disappears and comes back around about 55 right in okay. there. The, the shutter from the rear differential, and for everyone else out there that may not be aware, a, a lot of the Hondas require differential fluid service and that it's either changed with dual pump one or dual pump two. Uh, you know, it was it was something akin to the older style General Motors posi rear ends back in the 60s and the 70s, and even today. Um, if they've got a posi in them with clutch plates where you had to put an additive in. Ford does it, Chrysler does it, a lot of the manufacturers do it. Honda's no different. Um, I guess we don't think of Honda as actually having a, a posi per se, but it's that particular style locking rear axle that requires a fluid change. That being said, that usually happens in parking lot maneuvers, you know, uh, going in and out of a parking space, making a tight turn around a corner, that type of thing. Straight line at 40 miles an hour, not so much. I've never seen it in that application, and I don't know that it would because the both rear wheels are theoretically turning at the same speed. There's no there's no okay. differential action I taking did place. Recently, I did recently uh, look at the rear differential mount, and that looked a little floppy to me, so I've actually had that pulled out. I'm waiting for a part to come on that. But I still can't distinguish if it would be coming from the drive shaft or that differential mount or exactly the CV joints. Is it... Is it a vibration on acceleration, deacceleration, or just cruising along? Cruising along, and to the point where even my rearview mirror is um, vibrating. Okay, I can see a distorted picture in my rearview mirror. the The CRVs are noted for drive axle issues, particularly the inner joint. But it is it is usually a failure on with regard to on acceleration or decel it's 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 something when there's when there's load on the uh load on the on the drivetrain itself 90 percent of the time it was an acceleration problem so that being said if you're telling me at 40 miles an hour you're just cruising along and you know the steering wheel's got a little bit of a dance in it and you're feeling a little bit of a low level vibration in the in the vehicle itself i'm going to tell you that i mean it could still be a drive shaft issue, the old school, you know, drive shaft lost the weight, bent out of balance mm-hmm. problem. Um, uh, listen, I've had drive axles have that particular fault as well, where they're, you know, it's it's a rotating mass. I've seen I've seen bent drive axles on a front wheel drive only vehicle where they've got a little bit of an elliptical loop to it, and it's just enough to cause a, you know that bit of a vibration. So you know, there's that possibility too. You know, if you go to balance the wheels and tires. Do they take a lot of weight, a little weight? How do they look on the balancer, yeah. Corey? Uh, everything looks good on on the balance on it. Okay, are the, are the wheels taking excess weight? No, they're all just standard. You know, nothing excessive. I can't. I don't have the exact numbers okay. on the top of my head, but so yeah, you know, if it, you know, if you told me you'd you'd remember. I can tell you're a car guy. You'd remember if you know yeah. if, if you're putting four ounces or five ounces on a wheel, you're kind of cringing, going Ugh. right. But right. you know, yeah, if you're not yeah. seeing that. Then the next thing I'm going to tell you is, you know, back in the day, you know, we were trying to resolve vibration, driveline vibration. It was the old hose clamp and a couple of wheel weights strategically placed just to see, right. does it make any difference? I mean, listen, it's it's easy enough to say, hey, Corey, go buy yourself a pair of axles and start there. 
Uh, right. But, but uh, you know, that's not diagnosing. That's throwing parts. And I can't guarantee you that the replacement parts are going to be any better than the ones you got on right. there. Um, you know, that, 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 you know, new means, new means never, ever worked. I still stick by that. So I'm just wondering if this rear differential mount will take some of the vibration. Could. Out of there. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel the vibration okay. more in the seat of your pants or in the steering wheel? That's what's weird is when I would go to unbuckle the seatbelt for whatever reason at highway speeds, and I could put my hand down and feel it on where the buckle would attach in on the floor. Okay, so it's coming from the drive pan. Isn't that a two-piece drive shaft? Doesn't that have a center bearing support? It is. There's another support sort of bearing right in the middle of it. So and don't don't rule that out either. You know, at 170,000 miles, even though it's just broken in. Um, right. You know, it it could it could it could have some harshness to the rubber, creating because it. I mean, I've got to tell you, it sounds like. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're kind of looking for fly poop and pepper. You're, you're yeah, you know, it's, in, it's, you know, in, it's in, a higher vehicle, great in the winter time. I've right. got some great uh, Nokia and snow tires on there for the winter, and it just takes me through anything. But right. all of a sudden, this vibration developed, and I'm like, wow, I hate to throw the vehicle away just because of that. Right. Yeah. So it's just you know, it sounds like you're chasing something very small, but. Yeah. Um, you know, when you get down to listen, when you get down to you know, fly poop and pepper with boxing gloves on, that's probably the time to withdraw. So uh, you're 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 two steps into it. You got one more to go, and then it's out. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, I, I would like to get it up on a lift uh, so I could get the tires rolling and see what the drive shaft's actually doing. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's part of the process. I also wouldn't be afraid to once you get the once you get the mount resolved once you get the center drive shaft support bearing resolved in your mind because I know now you're going to go look at that you've already got yeah. you're already working on that in your head since I said it um, I wouldn't yeah. be afraid to take a hose clamp and a couple of wheel weights and go out there and play okay. with positioning you know at the end of the drive shaft at the front of the drive shaft does anything make a difference does anything pronounce correct make it better make it worse and right. you know kind of take it from there and play all right Sounds good. Thanks, so, sir. Good luck, sir. You're very welcome. And, uh, you know, thanks for being a Car Doctor listener. 855-560-9900. If Mr. Tom Ray can find the buttons, we will close out this segment of the Car Doctor. But guess what? I'm coming right back through the magic of radio. Don't go away. Welcome back. Why don't the car doctor? You know, it makes you wonder if the Beach Boys were still, you know, actively growing today. You know, back in the day, it was She's Real Fine, my 409. What would they sing about today? She's Real Sporty, my 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 hybrid. You know, there's nothing that, you know, or it's it's a real shock, my electric. It just it just doesn't work. You know, it really was the golden age of rock and roll. Um, so, but anyway, let's uh, let's get open to the phones and let's go over and talk to Robert Torrington, Connecticut, 06 Chevy Impala. Yes, Robert, how can I help you, sir? Yeah, hi, Ron. Um, I just put a power steering pump in my 2006 Chevy Impala 3.5 liter. Brave man. And I want. <laughs> Brave and man. I want to know... <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, hard part was the pulley, but I got the tool from the uh, parts store, borrowed yeah. it. Yep, yep, yep. And it yep. came off. But anyway. I want to bleed the uh, the system, and you know when you look on YouTube, like you say, you you get all these different ways, and I don't have that uh, mighty vac uh, adapter that you could put on and use a vacuum gauge. Right. Um, what's another way that I could do it? Um, well, and know? let's let's you know I can tell you what we would do in the shop, but first, you know, you can go down to the parts house. I've made that adapter. Um, you know, in the sense that I'll just get I'll just buy a cheapy power steering cap drill a hole through it, and I'll epoxy a nipple onto the top of it. 
and then it's just a matter of put some fluid in it, screw the um, pull pull it into a vacuum state when it's got fluid in it. It'll it'll pull the air up and then just continue to add fluid, take the cap off, add some fluid, and so forth. Um, but you can put fluid in there, and then um, you know I would tell you to park the car in a slight incline so that you're pitching the nose in the right direction. And it's, it may take overnight, run the car, cycle the wheel side to side, and it may take a, a little while doing this by hand, um, but eventually you will work the fluid, you know, will work the air out of the system. It's not easy. Um, that particular system has a very specific bleed procedure, uh, as you can see on either YouTube or if you look in service information in General Motors, because they had a lot of problems with that particular system. Uh, you know, uh, and it would be not, it would not be uncommon, let me say it like this, to have a bad, new, remanufactured pump right out of the box. So don't rule that out either. Um, that's why I'm saying you're a brave man for doing that. That's not an easy job. This is the one with no, the power no. steering pump down in the back of the motor? Uh, this one, yeah, it's on the uh, right-hand side uh, because, you know, it's transverse mounted. It's, right. it's on the right-hand side of the car. It's really not hard to get to. There's three bolts. This one's kind of simple. It's just um, Bleeding getting it. the air out, like you right. said, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you say I parked the car on an incline, the nose facing up or down? Um, I would put the nose down because the okay. pump is on the back of the motor. So the, so the high point would have to be the pump, and the only way you're going to make that the high point, because this should be the one with the power steering cooler line that comes forward under the front cradle. Yes. Right. Yep. And, you know, it's you're playing with that. You're trying to get the air out of that portion of the cooler, so... Basically, if you could stand the car on its nose, it, okay. would, it, it would be better. Um, you know, so either you've got to have Hercules come to the house tomorrow and eat a spinach, and or get a guy with a tow truck to lift it off the back. Um, <laughs> you know, or park it on an incline, nose down, and see what that. Yeah, does my for driveway's you. got a slight incline, so that that's a no problem. Right. Now, when you say turn the wheels left, another question is: you see people do it with the engine off and just uh, no power going to the to the car, just turn it you know, with the ignition off, or do I have the engine running? No, you've got, you, you've got the engine running, you've added fluid, you're going to need a long funnel to reach the power steering pump in the back because it's going to get close to the exhaust manifold and it's warm, and obviously you've got to be concerned about, you know, power steering fluid reaches a flammable point. I don't think you'll get to that if you're doing this on a cold engine and startup, but it's the idea that get some fluid in there, cycle the wheel, it should pick up prime and start to move some fluid. I'm sure it will whine like heck. And make a lot of noise and just, you know, add some fluid, cycle the wheel, add some fluid, cycle the wheel. It's going to be a foamy mess in there. And then when you get to the point where you think you've got enough fluid in there, and I would have to venture, depending upon how much you've lost, you're probably going to put somewhere between a pint, maybe a pint and a half in there. All right. And obviously make sure you're using the right fluid. Um, you know, I've taken to, you know, here we go again, vehicle specifics. I've taken to stocking GM. GM makes a cold weather power steering fluid. It seems to hold up better even in the warm weather. And I've, I, I've taken to using that. It's available from any Delco supplier. I don't remember the part number off the top of my head. It's been a while, but I know it's out there. I can see it sitting on the shelf at the shop. Um, and then when you park the car, when you're done, leave it parked right. nose down, leave the cap off, and leave it leave it like that overnight. Oh, so the air just uh, comes out naturally. In theory, yeah, the air should just burp out naturally overnight. Air is always air is always going to seek its highest point. Well, thank you. I mean, I love listening to your show up here in Connecticut. When I work in the afternoons at the local uh, trade school, 
and I get bored, I always put you on iTunes, and uh, you keep me company. Thank you, sir. I'm glad to be there for oh. you. It's a lot, Ron. Thank you. You take good care. Um, yeah, you know what? That's what it's all about, folks, just trying to fix cars. 855-560-9900. Ron Anini, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Every highway, let me slip away on you. Welcome back. Ron Anini, the car doctor. Let's go over to William in Waterloo, Iowa. William, I've got three minutes, baby. What's going on? Hey, I got a 2004 Chevrolet Impala LS with a 3800 engine. Okay. And the cam cam position position sensor is coming up on the OBD2 computer. P0340. Guys going P, P0340 William. Yeah, P0340. Okay. Okay, so it's setting and, a cam uh, position fault. And uh I changed the cam position sensor, and uh, it's still dying just going down the road. Okay. And and when I start it up again, it starts extremely hard, and I <laughs> I just drive it home and parked it. <laughs> okay. And I changed the crank sensor along with the cam position sensor, and I don't know... Where to go from here? Okay, so because, it's and uh, it's 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 still got a P zero three forty setting as a hard failure, correct? That's correct. All right. So here's the deal. All right. Um, do you know where you are? You know where you are, yeah. right? All right. You you look up, you look right. around. You know your position. All right. Right. Okay. The the camshaft knows its position, and it's trying to tell the PCM, the main engine computer, "Hey, I'm over here." It's right. trying to tell it where it's at. So the computer yeah. has to look at that electronically. All right? Changing the sensor, right. you know, what's, what's part of that circuit? Like, what's part of where are you? Okay? Part of that circuit is the sensor. There's a trigger device, usually a magnet on the inside of the sprocket or the engine. All right? Wiring harness in the yeah, PCM. the interrupter. Right, the interrupter. Okay? So, you know, right. is the interrupter there? Did you happen to look, you know, when the sensor when the sensor was out, did you crank the engine over by hand? Is the interrupter still on the inside? No, I got to I got to do that. I right. I uh it was so hard to look and see to, right. to get a mirror in there and You don't have a scope by just, you don't have access to a scope by chance, do you, William? I think my brother's got one. He's a he's a contractor. I think I can get one there. Okay, because, you know, there should be a brown white wire all right, going, yeah. going um, uh, uh, that's the cam signal going into the ignition module. That should, right. that should be a, a square wave signal. That should be square signal. And that's, that's kind of what we've got to do. We've got to break down the cam sensor and decide here's power, right. here's ground, here's signal. Do we have signal out? And we're either going to do that using a scope. We're either going to do that or we're going to look on a scan tool. If, and I think in 04 we could actually get cam sensor signal in data stream. I think it was there by then. All right, or we're gonna do it the hard way and stick our engine, stick our head down inside the engine and look for the interrupter. Doesn't necessarily mean we're still seeing the signal back at the PCM. So you know it's still gonna take. We've got to look for a signal. I'm a lazy guy. The older I get, I I tend to try and do things the easy way. Uh, for my money, right. I'd look at a wiring diagram, break down those three wires coming out of the cam sensor, and like I said, I'd find the brown white and look for a square wave signal coming out of that and, um, you know, see what you got. And if, if, if you don't have a signal, at least you know you got to go this direction. If you do have a signal, it's getting to the module. Now is it getting to the PCM? 
and you know kind of work your way backwards from there. But that's why you're setting the fault. That's why you're having the hard time starting the car. Good luck to you, sir. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.